Our scripture this morning, as we continue to walk through the book of Jeremiah, comes from Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah 36. And this is, this is an awesome story. You guys are going to like it. I can just tell. Jeremiah 36. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And we're going to be reading the whole chapter because the whole chapter is a single story. So we'll be reading verses 1 through 32. And as we prepare now to hear God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. We thank you that in these pages you reveal to us who you are and who we are in relationship to you. We thank you that in these words we come to know you as our Father, as our Shepherd, as our Lord and our God. We come to know your grace, we come to know your mercy, we come to know your love. And Lord, we pray that you today as we read this word, would send us your Holy Spirit so that we may respond with glad hope and faith to this word that you have given us. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds, to open our hearts to everything that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 36, starting at verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then... I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah. And while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them down on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted. I cannot go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting, and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord, and each will turn from his wicked ways, from the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord, our great. Baruch, son of Neriah, did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do. 
At the Lord's temple, he read the words of the Lord from the scroll. In the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the towns of Judah, from the room of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper courtyard at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace, where all the officials were sitting. Elishama the secretary, Delaiah, son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, son of Achbor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials, who thankfully they did not list. <laughs> After Micaiah told them everything he heard, he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nethaniah, the son of Shemaliah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, bring the scroll from which you have read to the people, and come. So Baruch, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. They said to him, sit down, please, and read to us. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? <coughs> yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me, and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Baruch, you and Jeremiah, go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishama the secretary and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Delaiah, and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiel, a son of the king, Seraiah, son of Azrael, and Shemaliah, son of Abdil, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. 
After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also, tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them, because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the passage before us this morning offers us a unique glimpse into the process of how divine revelation becomes Holy Scripture. In the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, the Lord instructs Jeremiah to write down on a scroll all the things that God had spoken to him from the beginning of his ministry until that day. And so Jeremiah calls up his buddy Baruch, the scribe, a major character for the rest of the book of Jeremiah, and has everything written down. And we don't immediately catch this from the text, but it takes a long time to write all of this down, almost a whole year. God instructs Jeremiah to write all these things down in the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign, we learn in verse 1. And in verse 9, we read that the scroll is completed and read in the temple in the ninth month of the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's reign. And this shouldn't surprise us, because in Jeremiah 1, we saw that Jeremiah's ministry begins in the reign of Josiah, king of Judah, Jehoiakim's father. Which means that by now, Jeremiah has been living and speaking as a prophet for almost 20 years, speaking the word of the Lord. When we first met Jeremiah two months ago, when we started this series, he was a teenager. Now he's in his 30s. 20 years of prophecy. 20 years of speaking God's word to his people, a word of warning, a word of judgment, a word calling God's people to repentance, to honor the covenant. And it takes Baruch the better part of a year to collect everything that Jeremiah has spoken over the course of Jeremiah's 20-year career and write it all down 
on a single scroll. The first draft, we might say, of the book of Jeremiah. I want to start our reflections this morning with a little bit of history. Because, as you may have noticed, the book of Jeremiah is not ordered chronologically. The stories aren't told in a historical order, which can make it kind of confusing when we read through it. And you see this throughout the book of Jeremiah, it kind of jumps around. In Jeremiah 1 and 2, we read about King Josiah. Then in chapter 21, we read about King Zedekiah. Then, the, who's the son of Josiah? And then in chapter 24, we have Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim. And then in chapter 25, Jehoiakim is king. And then in 29, Zedekiah is king, and Jehoiachin is in exile in Babylon. And in our passage today, Jehoiakim is king. But then, a couple chapters after this, in chapter 37, it's Zedekiah. And then in 39, we read about the fall of Jerusalem, and then the monarchy is ended, and we have a few stories about what happens after the fall of Jerusalem in chapters 40 through 45, and then oracles against the nations in chapters 46 through 51, and then in 52, all of a sudden, Zedekiah is king again, and Jerusalem is about to fall. And what makes it even more confusing is that in the Hebrew, each of these kings has like two or three different names. It's kind of like reading The Lord of the Rings, where Strider and Dunedon and Elisar and Wingfoot and Longshanks and Telquantar and Estel are all names for Aragorn. It can get overwhelming and confusing. Josiah is also Joshiahu. Jehoahaz is also Shalom. Jehoiakim is also Eliakim. Jehoiachin is called Jeconiah or Coniah. And Zedekiah is called Sikiyahu and Matanyahu. Thankfully, to help us all from losing our minds, most translators pick one name for the king and then have footnotes noting where the Hebrew text calls them by a different name, which is really nice. But for our story today, we are in the fourth year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, the son of King Josiah. And so let's review the historical context of the events surrounding this book so that we have some idea of where we are. When we began the book of Jeremiah, we were introduced to this teenage prophet in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Josiah's reign over Israel is described in detail in 2 Kings 22 and 23. After the assassination of his father Ammon, Josiah became king at the tender age of eight. So when Jeremiah begins his prophecy in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, King Josiah is about 21 years old. What King Josiah is famous for is his religious reforms in the land of Israel. In the 18th year of his reign, about five years after Jeremiah begins to prophesy, Josiah finds that there's some extra tax revenue coming in. How nice. And so he orders Hilkiah, the high priest, to use the extra money to renovate the temple. And while the priests are doing this work of renovating the temple, they discover a scroll of the book of Moses, the books of Moses, in the treasure room of the temple. And they bring it to the young king's attention. 
The king has it read before him in the secretary's room. He hears the covenant curses from the book of Deuteronomy. And he is afraid. He has the book sent to someone who he knows speaks on behalf of God, the prophetess Huldah, who basically says, takes one look at the book and says, yep, these curses are from God and they're all going to happen because we're all wicked. And King Josiah responds the way that someone ought to respond when confronted with God's judgment. He tears his robes and declares a time of fasting. He has the book of the law read in the temple courts, honoring it as the word of God. He renews the covenant before all the people and orders all vestiges of pagan worship to be destroyed. And here is where we see just how far astray God's people have gone. 2 Kings 23 tells us that Josiah instructed the priests to remove all pagan images from the temple. He fired the priests who worshipped idols and destroyed the altar to Baal and the Asherah pole, which were in the Lord's temple. He tore down the apartments for, for temple prostitutes, both male and female, which were built in the temple courts. He tore down the high place to Moloch in the valley of Gehenna, where the people of Israel sacrificed their children to the fire. He destroyed the altars to Baal, which were built on the roof of the royal palace. He destroyed the high places in and around Jerusalem as far away as Bethel. He killed the priests who served at these high places and instituted religious reforms according to the book of the law of Moses, particularly the celebration of the Passover, which 2 Kings tells us had not been celebrated in Israel for almost 20 years. But Josiah's reforms were short-lived. And when he died, they ended. The people turned back to their pagan ways, worshiping Baal and Asher and the stars. They rebuilt the high places and did everything that they had done before. But this time, they did it even though they knew the law. King Josiah died in battle. This is already after the Assyrian Empire has conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Jerusalem at this time is a vassal state of Assyria. They pay tribute to Assyria in exchange for protection. But there's a threat growing in the east. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is gaining power. And Josiah knows that it's just a matter of time before Babylon is the great power to be reckoned with. And so King Josiah switches sides. Nebuchadnezzar leads his armies to attack Assyria, and Assyria calls for aid from Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. And so Pharaoh Necho leads his army up through Israel to fight for Assyria. And Josiah decides, King Josiah, he's a, he's a politician. King Josiah decides that if he stops the Egyptian army from reaching Assyria, then maybe Babylon will be kind to Jerusalem. And so Josiah puts on his armor, King Josiah puts on his armor and leads the Judean army 
to Megiddo, where he faces Pharaoh Necho in battle and dies. King Josiah had four sons. And after he died, his youngest son, Jehoahaz, succeeded him as king of Judah. But he was only king for three months. Because Pharaoh Necho, after he got his army up to Assyria, decided that he, should, he himself should probably go back to Egypt to be the king. And on his way home, he stops in Jerusalem. And as a price for King Josiah's treachery, Pharaoh Necho deposes Jehoahaz and takes him to exile in Egypt. And instead installs his older brother, Jehoiakim, as king of Jerusalem. Jehoiakim reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. And in this 11 years, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon overthrows Assyria and drives the Egyptian armies back to Egypt. After he drives the Egyptian armies back, he comes to Jerusalem and puts it under siege. And so, to avoid destruction, Jehoiakim, he's a politician too, Jehoiakim agrees to be a vassal kingdom to Babylon, exchanging tribute for protection. And as a peace offering, more as a like, I'm terribly sorry that we defied you offering, Jehoiakim gives Nebuchadnezzar tribute from the royal treasury. He gives him artifacts from the temple. And he gives him a number of nobles and members of the royal family who Nebuchadnezzar takes into exile in Egypt. And our story today takes place about a year after that happens. About a year after Nebuchadnezzar puts Jerusalem under siege and King Jehoiakim agrees to be a tribute state to the Babylonians. Judah is a vassal of Babylon under the rule of Jehoiakim, king of Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will each turn from their wicked ways. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. It's amazing to me how stubborn God is on this point in the book of Jeremiah. God is intent on forgiving his people. Even after the people ignore the reforms from King Josiah, even after they rebuild the high places to sacrifice their children, even after they rebuild the Asherah poles to worship with prostitutes, even after they rebuild their altars to burn incense to the stars. Still, God says, if they will turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So God tells Jeremiah to write down his prophecies on a scroll. 
And so Jeremiah calls up his friend Baruch, the son of Neriah, a scribe. And when you hear about scribes in the Bible, I think that we tend to think of them as like secretaries or copy editors. But scribes served an important role throughout the history of Israel, not only as keepers and protectors of the word, but also as lawyers, as journalists, as historians, government officials, treasurers, judges. The scribes were people who knew the word of God by heart and served as advisors to priests and to kings and to judges. They were historians who kept the stories of God's people alive and prophets who constantly drew people's attention back to the word of God. And Baruch, as we will see, plays an important role in the book of Jeremiah. He's the one who writes Jeremiah's prophecies down and collects the stories of his life. He's the one who collects everything and writes it all in one single scroll, as we saw in the passage today. He's the one who speaks God's word through Jeremiah in the temple courts. And as we will see throughout the rest of the book of Jeremiah, he is also a faithful friend to the prophet Baruch the scribe, Jeremiah's friend. So Jeremiah calls up his friend Baruch, and Baruch comes and takes the scroll that Jeremiah has given him, and he writes down everything that God has spoken through Jeremiah. He spends about a year working on this scroll. And then during a time of fasting and prayer, he takes the scroll and reads it in the temple courts. And the courts would have been packed because it's a time of fasting, so everybody who could would have come to the temple. He goes to the secretary's room, so, yeah, so he goes to the temple courts and he reads the scroll. And one of the temple scribes, Micaiah, son of Gemariah, hears Baruch reading the scroll. And he's like, oh boy. So he goes up to the secretary's room and he tells all the other scribes and officials, hey, Jeremiah's reading the scroll in the temple courts. And so they send him back down and he comes to Baruch and he says, come with us and bring your scroll. And so Baruch goes up to the secretary's room and they ask him to read it to them. And he does. And they are afraid. The text isn't clear whether they're afraid because they know the king won't like these prophecies. Or if they're afraid because of a reverent fear of the Lord. But it's probably a combination here. Because a lot of these scribes who are listed in Jeremiah 36 are the same scribes who work under Josiah to institute religious reforms around Israel. They remember the book of the covenant. They know it. And they know the covenant curses that are contained in them. And they know and believe that Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And they look at each other in fear. And they say to Baruch, you know we have to tell the king about this, right? And Baruch's like, of course, that's, that's your job. And they're like, it would, it would probably be best for you if you went into hiding. And so Baruch and Jeremiah go into hiding. And the scribes summon King Jehoiakim. And they read the scroll to him in the winter apartment. Jehudi the scribe reads the scroll of Jeremiah's prophecies to King Jehoiakim in the room of Elishama the secretary. 
And whenever Jehudi reads three or four columns of the scroll, and this is how scrolls were written, right to left, in columns of text. Whenever he reads three or four columns from the scroll, the king takes a scribe's knife and cuts off those columns and throws them into the fire. And by the time the whole scroll is read, the whole thing is burned up. The whole thing is destroyed. And the way this is written, we're supposed to remember the story of King Josiah from 2 Kings 22 and 23. And we're supposed to see how different King Jehoiakim's reaction is. King Jehoiakim cannot be more different than King Josiah. Despite the urging of the temple scribes, the king and his officials show no fear. They don't tear their clothes. They don't repent. They don't declare a time of prayer and fasting. They don't institute religious reforms. Instead, King Jehoiakim commands his officials to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But their plans are thwarted by God who keeps Baruch and Jeremiah hidden from them. And while they're in hiding, God tells Jeremiah and Baruch that this book that they've been working for a whole year on has been destroyed. The king hasn't repented of his evils. The scroll of prophecy has been burned, but the words of prophecy endure. So God tells Jeremiah again, take another scroll and write on it everything that was on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned on. And God instructs Jeremiah and Baruch to add to those prophecies a curse against King Jehoiakim. And so Jeremiah takes another scroll, gives it to Baruch, and tells him everything that that God had spoken to him. And the text gives us this interesting little detail to close out the story. And many similar words were added to them. This this is a powerful story. Probably one of the most dynamic, tension-filled stories in the entire book of Jeremiah. And as we read it, if well, I mean, when you read it for the first time, right? You're sort of on the edge of your seat. How are the scribes going to react to Baruch reading the scroll? How will the people react to hearing the scroll read in the temple? How will the king respond to God's words of prophecy? What, what will happen to Jeremiah and Baruch? What will God do in the face of the king's unwillingness to heed God's word? In the end, it's a, it's a sad story for the people of God. The king rejects God's words, even going so far as to destroy them. The people do not repent. The government is out to silence the word of God to his people. But for us, this is a happy story. Because this story demonstrates the enduring power of the word of God. And there's a number of things that we learn from this passage. The first thing, and this I just find fascinating, is that we're given a unique glimpse in this story into the complicated process 
of how divine revelation becomes holy scripture. God speaks to Jeremiah, who speaks to the people. God instructs Jeremiah to write these prophecies down on a scroll, and Baruch the scribe transcribes Jeremiah's dictation. When the first scroll is destroyed, another scroll is written that includes everything that was on the first scroll, with many similar words added to them. The process from prophecy to scripture is a gradual one, but it is inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. The book of Jeremiah has at its root Jeremiah's prophecies, and eventually these prophecies are recorded on a scroll, but even that scroll is not the end of the book of Jeremiah. Baruch adds stories from Jeremiah's life and other similar words. And so the final book of Jeremiah, which we have in our Bibles, is the result of the Holy Spirit guiding not only the prophet, but also scribes, teachers, scholars, translators, and the community of faith to understand that these are the inspired words of God. From the prophet the Bibles in our pews, the Holy Spirit inspires and preserves the Word of God for His people. The second thing that we learn is that even from the beginning, Scripture is a threat to the powers of this world. God's Word speaks truth to power, and that makes it dangerous. God's words about sinfulness, repentance, and reconciliation are especially challenging to those of us who live with power and privilege and wealth. Because it breaks the illusion and the self-deception that we so often fall into that any of us deserve our power or have earned our position. God's word calls us to account, to recognize that everything we have is from God and belongs to God and so should be used for his glory and honor. It calls us to exercise our power and privilege in a way that is pleasing to God. But seeking our own wills, we often use our power the way that King Jehoiakim did, to silence God's word or to bend it to our will. The powers of this world seek to strip God's word of its power. But the third and most powerful thing that we learn from this passage is that the word of God endures in spite of the worldly powers that oppose it. Jeremiah 36 teaches us that even though worldly power may try to silence, change, even to destroy the word of God, such powers cannot and will not prevail. God's word endures. All the fires in all the world cannot destroy the word of God. And why is it? The early church saw in this story a parable of Christ. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. The Word of God became flesh and lived among us. He spoke truth to power. And the powers and principalities of this world sought to silence him, to bend him to their service, and finally to destroy him. 
The Pharisees tried to stump him in religious debates. The temple officials accused him of blasphemy. Pontius Pilate tried to convince him to change his message. King Herod asked him for a miracle. The Roman soldiers beat and mocked him. And when all of this failed, the incarnate word of God was crucified, cursed, hung on a tree, and went down into death. But even death could not destroy the word of God. And on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he rules over all creation until the day that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. The word of God endures in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the firstborn of the dead, The word of God endures because it is written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit who guides us in all righteousness and truth. The word of God endures through the faithful work of teachers, theologians, pastors, scholars, and Bible translators. And the word of God will endure despite all opposition, despite all attempts to silence and destroy it until Christ comes again when we shall see God face to face. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, in the face of the powers and principalities of this world which try to silence bend, or destroy your word. We praise your holy name because your word endures. We thank you for the gift of your word. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, who heals our sins, who restores us to right relationship with you, And who sends us your Holy Spirit to guide us in righteousness and gratitude. We thank you, O God, that you are faithful. We thank you, O God, that you are true. And we thank you, O Lord our God, that your word endures. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.